You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much for this day a day that we get to rejoice as we already have a little bit but we and rejoice in you and your generosity to us in Christ and how great you are and and that Lord we understand that everything that has breath can and should praise you and we thank you that we are included as part of that Lord I pray as we look into your word we would do so uh, with open minds open hearts and that your spirit would just work within us if there's resistance or questions, but also at the same time, Lord, that you would enable us to know you better and enable us to know the generosity of the gospel better. So we thank you for this time, and we lift it up in your name. Amen. As I mentioned, we're kicking off a new series today. We're, uh, we're, we, we're going to be talking about what it means to deploy to culture. What does it mean for us, as here in our Pathways diagram, from the gospel, what, who God is and what he's done for us, to then we are, our identity is who we are because of that. We're ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ. What does that mean? That means our mission is to deploy to culture, intentionally go out into culture and share the gospel message as representatives of Christ, as we're instructed to do in the scripture. We talked a little bit about it last week. And the main ways we do that is hospitality, service, and evangelism. But as we kicked off this series, for the past um, couple months actually, we've been talking to people and we asked you to write down what are some topics that as we go into culture, what are some topics that you would like us to address? Not simply what is, we're going to address hospitality, service, and evangelism, but what are some of the things as you think about engaging your neighbors, the people at work or school or, or, or city of Portland or the neighborhood, you know, whatever, whatever the context might be, what are the things that concern you? What are the things that are, might be roadblocks to that? What are some of the barriers to that? And we asked people to write in, and we got quite a few. Some Josh and I anticipated, not, not a big surprise in a few of them. Some of them were d- different. We hadn't, well, we've thought of them, but we didn't know we were going to include it. And some that we had thought of weren't included. But here's a sample of some of the things that people said, and over the next couple months we'll be addressing most of these. Uh, one of them is, is homosexuality and same-sex marriage, obviously very prominent in our culture. In, in the news and, and what's going on, how do we respond both to the issue but also to people in regards to homosexuality and same-sex marriage? Why does a good God allow bad things to happen to people? Why, why does, if God's good, God's loving, why, why do bad things happen? And what do we say to people when bad things happen to them? Um, social justice is a kind of popular, popular in our day, and it's always been around, but even in Portland and stuff like that, there's no shortage of opportunities and options to be engaged in culture with, with show, social justice. But how do we think through those options? How do we decide what's worth our time and energy and getting involved with? Things like immigration and displaced people, all the conflict around the world. Large groups of people are moving from country to country, including into the United States. How do we respond? What's our obligation to people who are displaced, to immigrate here because of hostility or hardship in their other country? And alongside that, if we have lots of people come in here, 
What's our obligation to people already here, for example, that was raised on the sheet, if those people coming in take jobs of people who are already here? How do we respond to that? How do we live in a, in a post-Christian culture? It used to be if you were a Christian, uh, everybody understood basically what that meant, and uh, it might not have been exciting. It might have been actually pretty ho-hum because, you know, it's just, you're just a Christian. Now that culture is changing. Now the culture is actually more antagonistic. If you really are uh, uh, somebody who centers on the gospel and the Bible, uh, the culture is getting more and more antagonistic to you and, and hostile to you. In fact, even some of the things we're going to say in the next few weeks, we, are not, we would not allow to be say publicly from a pulpit, from the, in a church, in other countries, including Canada, uh, where pastors are arrested because they say some of the things that we're going to say. The culture is changing. Um, is Jesus really the only way to God? I mean, that's pretty intolerant. That's pretty narrow in this day and age. Is Jesus the only way to God? And um, one of them was which, uh, marijuana. Uh, it's going to be legal. Uh, what is our stand on smoking marijuana, medical marijuana, recreational use marijuana? Smoking it, growing it. It's a profitable business. Should we be engaged in the business of growing marijuana? We're going to be addressing these things. I'm not going to address any of them today. Sorry to disappoint you. Because as we started talking about these issues, we said, where do we begin? Where's our launching point? Where is it that we start to say, we as Christians, as followers, uh, followers of Christ, where do we begin with any of these issues? Where do we begin to, to uh, dialogue with these and talk both about our, our own convictions, our convictions as a church, as a family, but also as we engage people outside in our community, and these things come up, how do we talk about them? So what we're going to do is first going to lay a foundation. We're first going to say this is the launching point. This is the authority that we're going to go to on all these issues, and that is the Scripture. We're going to talk about how come we believe and hold to that Scripture is our launching point for all these issues. Scripture is our authority for all these different issues, and that's what we're going to look at today. Um, I'm going to read a couple of passages, and then we're going to walk through uh, one passage fairly uh, in detail. But it, this is not a new issue. This is something that's been around since man, or mankind. It's in the Scriptures a lot. We, we centered on one passage. But the idea that people struggle with their lives because they deny the truth is nothing new. For example, Paul in 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7. Let me read this passage to you. He says, But I understand this, that in the last days there will come times of, of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasures rather than lovers of God, having an appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, and led astray by various passions. And now focus on verse 7. This is why this is the situation. Always learning, but never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. They're always learning. They're always discussing. They're always talking about things. But they can't come to a knowledge of the truth. And in our day and age, there's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of debate. Everybody has their opinions on things. The question is, have we come to an understanding of the truth? And we're going to look at today at the passage in more closely, a passage, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. We've looked at it before, but we're going to look at it slightly different today. And let me read that to you also. He says, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, 
and how from childhood you have been, been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God might be thoroughly equipped, complete, equipped for every good work. In this passage, Paul gives us five characteristics of Scripture, five characteristics of Scripture that are important for us to understand as we face these issues. By the way, there is a handout back near the sound booth. If you didn't get one, there's a handout there that lists the five and has the discussion questions for the week. The first one, the first uh, characteristic is, first of all, the necessity of Scripture, which is easier to say, God's Word is necessary. God's word is necessary. We see that in verse 15. He says, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. How are we to become wise for salvation? How are we supposed to understand God's plan for us? And he tells us through the scripture. We are able to understand it because scripture tells us. And although everybody, Romans 1, says that God may, reveals himself as creator to all humanity, there are some things that he holds, um, that he has chosen to reveal very specifically through language, through the scripture, through the writing. And the scripture is necessary for us. If we don't have that, there's things we wouldn't know about God, about ourselves, about the world, about the gospel, where is the world heading. We know these things because God has spoken to us and then told us these things, the gospel message. We call that revelation. He reveals something to us we wouldn't know unless he told us that. And, and there's a number of examples we get, like, like the basic question in all these issues. Who are we? Who are we as human beings? How do we relate to each other as human? What, what aspects of our lives make us human? Does, does the Bible address that, or we just discuss that among ourselves? Is there a difference between what the Bible says, we are created in the image of God? Human, people, humans, everyone is created in the image of God, the characteristics of God, for a relationship with God. Or... Do we say that we are a product of evolutionary chance? We're just, we're just a chance. We, our species, the human species, just kind of one out. We're a little more advanced than others, but we're just one of the many species that are evolving. Now, does it make a difference in how we treat people and how we think about these issues if we're, one, created in the image of God, or two, simply a product of evolutionary chance? I think it does. Understanding that we're created in God's image and the value that puts on all human beings, everybody, regardless of what they're doing, where they live, their ethnic background, or anything, that puts a value on them that we wouldn't have necessarily otherwise. And there's things when we talk about social justice. We want to jump into, hey, let's change the whole world. Okay, we should do that. But before we talk about social justice, to set the foundation for, or to change society and impact society with justice, we need to talk about personal justice. We need to talk about relational justice. How does the justice between us as individuals or us within, among our families work? And then actually, even before we get to talk about that, we have to talk about divine justice. What, what is justice, and how does God dictate what that is, and what does it mean that he provides and satisfies justice in our part? To jump to social justice without talking about the other two is, is going to be a mistake. We're not going to do that. We're going to talk about all three. But the point is, we wouldn't know those things unless God told us. Paul told the Corinthians, he said, I delivered over to you what is of first importance. If there's one thing I really, really, really want you to know, this is it. Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. 
That's a, that's a summary. The most important thing you can say to them is the summary of the gospel message. How do we know that? It's in accordance with the scriptures. It, the scriptures tell us that we need some kind of salvation that Christ. The scriptures tell us that Christ died. We wouldn't know if somebody didn't tell us, right? It's a historical event. We need to know, so what did he die? What's the significance of Christ dying? We know because Scripture tells us the significance. He tells us about that. We know that Christ's death is part of a bigger plan. Well, what is that plan? Scripture tells us what that plan is. That's why it's important. So the goal of God's revelation, the goal of the Scripture that's necessary for us to know, is not just to simply inform us of what's true. It does do that. It's not simply to uh, educate us. It is to bring us to repentance and faith to his word and say we're going to respond to what we hear because it is God's word. And if he didn't tell us, we wouldn't know. So God's word is necessary, but we also see the clarity of Scripture. God's word is understandable. God's word is understandable. He sees this in the beginning of verse 15. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Scriptures. By the way, just as I'm thinking about it, sacred writings, Scripture, Bible... God's Word. I'm going to use, I'll probably mostly talk about Scripture, because that, that refers to the writing, the book. Uh, but they're all interchangeable. But here he's saying, even children can understand what the Bible says. Even children can understand the basic storyline, the basic narratives, the basic points, the Psalms, and the, even the law. They can understand what that means. And we are told things in the Scripture that are understandable, and they're meant to be understood. Uh, God uses language to communicate to us. That's what it means to be part of what it means to be created in the image of God. We can understand language, we can create ideas, and we can communicate to each other in a different way than others do. And so scripture is, is clear and understandable for us. If we read the Bible, we can follow the stories. If we if we read the Ten Commandments, most of us don't say, What does do not murder mean? What does do not steal mean? I don't get it. No, no, we get it. We understand what it means. We can read the Gospel of Mark and read through it, even for the first time, and say, you know what? I don't understand all the details, but I get the flow that this Jesus guy, there's something different about him. If this is true, yeah, he's unique. He's different than everybody else. So we can understand what it says. Have you ever uh, heard the analogy? People, people often say, well, there's, there's one, there might be one God, but there's all sorts of different ways to him. So, um, it, and... Um, they use the analogy, let me just jump into the analogy, they use the analogy of, of blind men touching an elephant. Have you ever heard that analogy? Where there's an elephant and these blind men go up it and they're touching an elephant and one touches the, the, the tail and say, oh, the elephant's like a rope. And another one touches the nose, the trunk, and says, oh, it, elephant's like a hose. And another one touches the side and says, oh, an elephant's like a wall. And one touches the, a leg and says, oh, elephant's like a tree trunk. And Another one touches the ear and says, oh, it's like a sail. Elephant's like a sail. Anybody ever hear this analogy before? Okay, we've got a lot of head motions going different directions here, okay? Okay, well, it's the, the point of people who use this argument is this. God is like an elephant. He's there. But we're blind men, and we can't see the whole thing, so therefore whatever we see in front of us is what God's like. Therefore, all religions are about God, we just worship him differently because we see different things. That's the point of the analogy, okay? And that's what they want us to, to say. Now, in, in, in one respect, yes, we all are blind. We don't know God perfectly on our own. But Kevin DeYoung, who's an author, a pastor, an author, a blogger in Gospel Coalition, points out two fatal errors in that analogy that's fairly common. 
the two errors are this. First of all, he points out that the story, the analogy, is told from the vantage point of somebody who knows what an elephant is. Right? Those who tell the story and those who hear the story to understand the story, to understand the analogy, have to know what an elephant is, or it doesn't make sense. Right? Follow me? So he's saying that, that, um, so th that breaks down in that point. The second thing he says, which is m my bigger point here, is, yeah, that's okay. We don't understand uh, God on our own. We are unable on our own. But here, here's the difference of the story. What happens if the elephant speaks? What happens if the elephant actually talked? He says, this is my tail, this is my leg, this is my trunk, this is my ear, this is my body. And his, Kevin Young's point is, you can talk about God being an elephant in an analogy, but we're saying God talks. God does explain himself to us. God does inform us of, of what he's like and things. So therefore, we can know the whole elephant. And therefore, it can be one way to worship in him. God speaks to us in that way, and he's understandable. Some would object, yeah, yeah, listen, I've read the Bible, I read the Bible. It's hard. It's hard to understand. Yeah, some parts of it are hard to understand. Not impossible to understand, hard. And sometimes I think we forget that the Bible is actually 66 books, all written over the course of thousands of years. But what's amazing about them is, if you start at the beginning and work your way through the end, the story progresses. The interweaves, and one author will refer to something that's to the other author, and they interact with each other, especially in the New Testament. They keep going back, remember, remember, remember. If you don't know the old story, then the new story just sort of breaks down, doesn't have a whole lot of meaning. It's like reading a trilogy of books, like the Lord of the Rings trilogy. You jump in in the last couple chapters, it's, it's okay, but it's not as good and not as clear with what happened unless you start at the beginning of the first book and work your way through. We understand that with literature, it's the same with Scripture. Scripture is not as confusing as we make it. It just takes some effort on our part to be familiar with it and to understand it. And the, bo the, the breakdown with this, too, is that people say, well, the Bible's hard to understand. These, these issues are cloudy. It's, it's, it's hard to understand. And I'm going I'm to make the case that much of the things we're going to talk about over the next couple months are not hard to understand. There, there is two aspects to this. There is one is understanding And there's another part of doing or practicing what you understand. See, we, most of us object, many people object to different things saying, it's hard to understand. But if we really stop and look at a lot of the things we're going to talk about, understanding is not the problem. We, for example, most of us don't struggle with understanding how to pray. It's really kind of easy, isn't it? Talking to God. Don't need a whole lot of read six, seven books on prayer to pray. You guys with me? A few, a few heads on, okay? What's our struggle with prayer? Our struggle with prayer is not understanding prayer. Our struggle is doing what we already understand. We already have an understanding. We just don't do what we already understand. When we're going to talk about sexual uh, morals and how, what is God invented sex, he wants it to be an enjoyable, good thing. But there's also deviations and, 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 and things we're not supposed to do sexually. There's sexual fidelity, huge theme throughout the Bible. Okay? Is it, is it difficult for us to understand sexually how we're supposed to behave and, and enjoy sex? No, it's not. Okay? Our problem, our struggle is not understanding sexual fidelity. Our struggle is, is doing our existing understanding of sexual fidelity. 
When we get to social justice, it's not going to be difficult to understand the many options we can do to help our culture. Understanding social justice is not a difficulty. Okay? What's difficult, where we struggle with dealing with the issues of the world and family and all these other things, is, is doing what we already understand needs to be done. That's the breakdown. It's not because the Bible is misunderstood. It's not because it's hard to understand. Our breakdown is in the knowing-doing gap. We don't do what we already know. That's our struggle, and that's the struggle that sin pulls us to. The third thing we need to know, God's Word is necessary. God's Word is understandable. God's Word is enough. God's Word is enough. He says this in verse 16. In verse 16, he says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for the teaching reproof and correction and training in righteousness. Scripture contains all that God's words intends us to have. Scripture provides us everything we need to know for our relationship with him and to live our lives aligned with that relationship. We, and there, there are things we need to know. We talked about this last March, and many of you even uh, used this. Um, This is, this is that scripture he says in here, he says, uh, scripture is profitable, it's useful. What can we use scripture for? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. We can teach, okay? We can know the positive things, right things. This is right, this is wrong. You're teaching, there's reproof. Reproof is saying, that's not true. This is true, that's not true. Correction is saying that behavior is wrong. It's harmful. It's destructive. It will hurt you. Stop doing it. But also, training in righteousness. This is right. You can do this. It is beneficial for you to do this. Scripture, Paul just says there, all Scripture is, provides this kind of understanding for us. We get to know what is true and what, what is true, what is not true, what not to do, what to do. I'm not going to elaborate on that because we did in March. I went through it even more. But the point is, Scripture gives us enough. But, okay, some, some issues we're going to make the case are pretty clear. Homosexuality in the Scripture is pretty clear. It's pretty clear. Uh, I'm going to go back to this, that most people, when they read the text about marriage and sex and, and, and homosexuality, and all that, the understanding of what it says is not difficult. Doing it is a different story. But, but we're going to say some issues are going to be pretty clear-cut. But there's some other things maybe not so clear-cut. You know, the Bible never mentions marijuana. We never, uh, Jesus, I guess, had long hair, a robe, and ran, walked around sandals, but we never hear that he lit up a joint. Okay? Or c- condoned it or condemned it. It's silent. So what do we do? Then, of course, the Bible doesn't talk about marijuana. We cannot use the Bible to interact. No, no. What we can do is look at similar situations and go through things, and we can find out from the Scripture what is true, what is not true, what not to do, and what to do. Even in those subjects that the Scripture doesn't explicitly address, God has given us enough information to make intelligent decisions to live for Him and to apply the gospel to those situations. And the disciples, 
early at the end, after Jesus rose, they were still waiting for the secret. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? We want to know the inner secret of what you're doing. And Jesus says, you know what? It's not for you to know those things. It's not for you to know those things. This is what I need you to know. I need you to go into the whole world and be my witnesses. Be on mission. You know enough and be enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to do what I've called you to do. Don't worry about those things that I'm silent on. But he has given us enough to act and to do those things. So we have God's word is necessary. God's word is understandable. God's word is enough. God's word is final. God's word is final. This is the authority of Scripture. This is the authority. We see this in verse 16. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture, all Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, the, the letters, the prophetics, the Psalms, all of it is got breathed out by God. By the way, one of the common things people will use is, for example, as an example, I don't want if Josh is going to talk about it. For example, people say, I've I seen a book once, the title of it, Everything Jesus Taught About Homosexuality. It's a bound book. And you open it up and the pages are blank. Because Jesus never actually specifically mentioned that word. So their theme is, Jesus didn't mention it, it's okay. That's their point. They have a defaulty view of Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed. Homosexuality is mentioned directly in other passages of Scripture. It's not less authoritative because Paul talks about it than Jesus did. We don't view our Bibles that way. The Bible, all of it, is, is the authority of Scripture. It means that it originates. It's his words. God's word is the final authority because it's God's words. It's not a collection of religious writings. It's not ancient ideas about how we should live and walk. We believe in that the inspiration of Scripture, the Holy Spirit moved people as they, they wrote the books, but the Holy Spirit guided them in doing that. This is important that you know that we stand. This is a big deal for us as elders at Red Sea, the authority of Scripture being there, that we do what we call, for the most part, not every time, is expository preaching. What, what that means for you is when we, tr- we preach, we do our best in all of humility. We do our best to say that the, me- the point of our message is the point of Scripture. The point of Scripture is the point of our message. We're not just trying to make up stuff. We're trying to point to the Bible, and, and we have offended people because we do that. We, in essence, hold up our Bible and say, this is true. And by implication, other people assume then if they don't believe that, that, that what they believe is not true, and that's offensive. But we stand very squarely on the authority of Scripture. That's why we're talking about this first before we talk about anything else, any of those issues, if we can't agree here. We're not going to put a whole lot of weight on opinion polls. We're not going to put a whole lot of weight on uh, if we have a referendum to vote. If we vote then it, and it's a positive, then it's okay. Not necessarily. We're not going to even... Lean into personal preferences, either yours or our own. We're going to stand there and say, to the best of our ability, this is what Scripture says. And we, and we do this all the time. As shepherds and lead it, we do it, but some people give and take. We've, we run into a lot of rub with this. For example, and I've talked about it before, things like sexual sin. It's pretty clear what we should be doing. Sex is a good thing. It's enjoyable in the context of marriage. But in the scriptures tell us things. For example, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, flee from sexual immorality. For every, other, every other sin, for every other sin a person commits outside his body, but sexual immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, my first thing, back to the scriptures understanding, is it hard to understand what Paul is saying there? No. 
flee, run away from things that are wrong, dysfunctional sex. Pursue glorifying, use your body, but glorify God the way he designed it to happen. And this is what, why? Because of the gospel. You have the Holy Spirit. You're not your own. Christ died on the cross to free you, so you're not in bondage to the wrong thing. You do the right thing. We share this message, share this passage with people at times. Couples living together, for example. And the common response is, that's not true for me. That, that's for then. It's not for now. We know better now. We, we have safer methods, and it's about the relationship. It's about me being happy. That's for then. Or it might be true for you, but it's not true for me. The people are not dismissing their under, clear understanding of Scripture when they dismiss that. What are they dismissing? They're dismissing the authority of Scripture in their life. These are, by the way, people who claim the name of Christ to be Christians. They're saying, I, I don't care what the Bible says. It's not true for me. They deny the authority of Scripture. By the way, this is very common. At least they, people say it different ways. Uh, that's true for you, but not true for me. It could be anything. Any of these subjects we're going to deal with, religion, the gospel. You get, well, that's true for you, but that's not true for me. You ever, anybody ever have that conversation with somebody? It could be a moral issue. It could be a social issue. It could be a religious topic. Yeah, you believe what you want to believe. I'll believe in mine. What's true for me is true for you. All truth is relative. They might not say that. All truth is relative. I decide what, what's true. You decide what's true for you. That's nonsense. We, we don't live that way. But yet when we talk about topics, we, people often throw that out as if we're done talking about this. I get to hold to my, what I believe because it's mine. It's my conviction. It's my belief. And you can't tell me it's wrong. Really? Here's an experiment. I, if somebody has, you have that conversation with somebody, here's an experiment to see if they really believe that, if they really have that deep conviction. They say, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. It, it, we can't impose that on each other. And then what you say to them is, can I see your wallet or purse? Can, can I see it? Take it from them. And take out the cash, if there is any. Take out some credit cards. And, and, and take the money and put it in your pocket and return the, the, the wallet and purse to them. They might think you're joking. Don't joke. Walk away. And they will probably what? Object. They'll object. Hey, you can't do that. That's what? Stealing. You can't steal from me. And which your response is, well, what's true for you is not true for me. That might be stealing for you, but for me it's taking care of my personal needs. I need the cash. You, you can't impose the truth of stealing on me because it's your truth. It's not my truth. You see the nonsense of living like that? We do that with religion. We do that with other ethical issues all the time. People do all the time. But if you really think about it, it's not true. If we really think about it, we live in a culture that is what we're inundated, the media, the movies. Everything. What's true for me is okay and it's relative. I, I would like somebody who believes that firmly to tell a woman who's been raped or a child who's been molested, that a crime was not committed. That, 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 man, who, who, that man who did that horrible thing to them is, is not a sexual predator because it's, there's no crime, because he was just acting out of his sexual desires, which he, he gets to do because they're true for him. And if they're not true for you, oh well. That's nonsense. That's nonsense. It is true for everybody. 
The same goes with a lot of these other topics. They might be not as graphic and not as pointed, but it's true. Truth is not relative. In fact, when people tell you that, there is no such thing as absolute truth. There's no truth that's true for everybody in all places all time. To say there's no absolute truth, by the way, is an absolute truth. It's self-contradictory. Right? To say there's no truth is truth, which means it's not. It's not true. Anyways, people do not struggle with the truth. People struggle with the authority of the truth in their lives. And the fifth point, God's word is necessary, God's word is understandable, God's word is enough, God's word is final, and God's word is directional. This is the storyline of Scripture. We've talked about this before. We spent a whole year working through this. But the story, this creation here, actually the story begins, we know, well before creation, because God exists well before creation. But for us as people, it begins creation. And there's a, there's a story arc. We see this, for example, in um, verse 17. He says, you're given the scriptures brief, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's a grand narrative to the story. There's one big overarching storyline. Don't, don't hear story as fictional. It's the same as narrative. It's history. And and there's one storyline. It's God's storyline, by the way, not ours, but we're a piece of it. And, and this storyline, we sometimes forget that this grand narrative, and we are informed, it's understandable in the scripture, and it's going someplace. We're not adrift at sea in life rafts trying to, what's life going to happen? What's, what's the world, what's going to happen? We, we know what's going to happen. We know what has happened. We know what's going to happen. We see this in in, in uh, the gospel itself, we are saved by grace through faith, not our own doing. Why? In verse 10 of Romans 2, he says, For we as his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We, we have an understanding that we are, when we're saved, we're not just saved to wander about and figure things out. He's got a mission for us, things for us to do. He has a plan, and here's a destination. And this storyline is the gospel in, in a big, broad way, a big storyline of the gospel. We were created in his image. And then the fall happened where people, Adam and Eve sinned, and we have sinned since then. We have rebelled against God's authority, his design. God wants the best for us. We choose we want to do our own thing. The history of Israel is God's loving kindness and generosity to them, and they're rejecting it over and over and over and over again. Remember, we went through that, if you were here, for a year. Jesus said that all of the Bible is about him, the scripture, the gospel, comes down to all scripture about Jesus coming. We live... Here, at the end, it's not even the total end of the narrative because the narrative goes on for eternity, but we also know there's a new heavens and a new earth. This, this should influence us. This should influence us in understanding. We live here in what's commonly called the already, not yet. This is already true. This is not yet true. This has not yet happened. This has already happened. This has not yet happened. Do you think that would give us direction on how we face these issues? This isn't like, hey, we're going to bring in utopia if we just make past the right laws and do the right things. No, there is no utopia. But we do know that the Lord's going to return, and he will bring judgment on the righteous and the unrighteous, those who have faith in Christ and those who don't. We don't like that. That's not very tolerant. That's not very uh, nice for us to say that to people in our culture, that, that someday it doesn't make a difference what they decide, vote on, or do. Someday they're going to have to give an account for their life. That direction of Scripture helps us understand and make decisions 
about what we're going to do and invest our lives in as a church and not. And Paul says that, that all, all, all this is happening, what's goal for our life isn't that we have good works to do, that we conform to the image of Christ. That now that we know Christ, God is doing the work in all of our lives so we become more and more like Jesus. That's the goal. As we face these decisions, these issues we talk about, one of the questions is, is this helping me transform to be more and more like Jesus in light of the truth of the gospel? Remember in Ephesians and 2, Paul said that... Um, we follow the world, the devil, and the passions. We follow those things. Uh, that's what he described. Our, our dilemma in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, we lays out the gospel. The dilemma is we follow the world, we follow the devil, and we follow our own passions. Another way of saying that is that, that we listen to alternative narr- narratives. We listen to alternative stories. We like stories. We like to be a part of stories. But if the alternative story is a wrong story and we're a part of it, it's going to take us where we don't need to go. Marketing and media and entertainment all center on telling us a storyline different than the gospel storyline, don't they? You don't look good enough. We'll tell you how to look better. You aren't acceptable enough. We'll show you what you need. Your life doesn't have enough meaning or excitement, we can create that reality for you. Those are all alternative stories that we buy into instead of listening to the story of God. And ironically, and they are writing their own stories, the marketers, the entertainers, those people, and they are not only following their meaning and telling us the story, they also get a boatload of money in the process. So it finds even more meaning. The devil. We follow the devil. How does the devil tempt us? Let's go back to the very first time. How did the devil tempt Adam and Eve? And don't say an apple. He deceived them. How? He misquoted God. He told them a different story. God says, hey, listen, I created this garden. It's, it's awesome. I'm putting you in it. You can eat of anything you want in the entire garden except for that one tree. Don't do that. Just one. What does Satan tell them? Satan says... You, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good from evil. And since then, Satan has been always telling people alternative storylines. Oh, don't believe this gospel storyline. No, that's not true. I'll tell you a better one. Believe this. Oh, he doesn't deny God. He just tells you a different storyline. Our own passions, we follow our own passions. Is we scheme when we sin. We don't fall into sin. Nobody falls like they stumble. Oh, look. We scheme. We tell ourselves alternative stories. Nobody will know. Everybody else is doing it. At at least I'm not as bad as them. Or probably the most prominent is, don't I deserve to be happy? Don't I deserve to be happy? That's a storyline contrary and out of sync with the gospel storyline. How how does we change that in responding Paul says, you're listening to different stories from the world, from Satan, and the devil. The answer is the gospel, which is the true storyline. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ. That is a true storyline what God has already done for us in Christ, 
and for eternity we'll be celebrating what he's done for us in Christ. That is how it influences us. Those five things we want, are we going to leverage to uh, talk about these issues? That the God's word is necessary, God's word is understandable, God's word is enough, God's word is final, and God's word is directional. When we uh, hear and obey and yield to the scripture, the authority of scripture, we're going something with it. I want to close with just uh, a quick, quick comment. When we go through this, and some of these are, are obviously hot topics and some are, we're going to work through, Josh and I are going to stand up here for the most part and do our best in all of humility to do our best to say this is what the Scripture teaches or this is what the Scripture guides us to do in regards to this issue. Our goal here, though, is not to say we're right, everybody else is wrong. Do not hear that. Our, our goal is not to be the right ones. In humility, our goal is to share the gospel with people. Our goal is to live our lives in accordance with the truth of the gospel. And that's what our, our dealing with these issues is so that we can communicate that to people who are, are, are struggling with those, so that we know how to engage them, but also how we can live our lives that glorify God. It's not simply about being right. We want to make sure you understand that. It's about sharing the gospel message with other people. We want them to come to know Christ. And we celebrate that every week with communion, to remind ourselves of God's generosity to us, his love for us, his faithfulness to us, his provision of what Paul says, of first importance, that Christ died for our sins. Every week we do that. We are to remind ourselves of what the scripture says about Christ every week as we take communion. So as today, as we continue in our act of worship and celebrating and worshiping out of the word of God and song and and, uh, you are welcome, if you are a follower of Christ, to take communion, celebrate the storyline is to celebrate all that he's done for you and for our families and for our church and for St. John's and for Portland and for the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that um, you have given us your word. I pray, Lord, that the things that we have um, exposed to us in the coming weeks will be words, your words to us not just simply preferences or ideas, but, Lord, that you would uh, stir up our hearts to desire, to hunger, to follow after you in ways that will bring you glory. And, Lord, may we hear the gospel that you loved us and sent your Son to die for us so that we may come to you and live life eternal. We thank you, Lord, for this word. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.